John 14, 15 through 20. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will, not, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Thank you, Casey, for reading for us. It, it really does happen all the time. It happens all the time. People have to think through what a relationship means when someone leaves, when someone's not present anymore. And you kind of want to think, yeah, this, this relationship's never going to change. Maybe. But we often know better than that. We often know if someone leaves, then the relationship is going to have to change. When a kid goes to college or you have a group of friends at college and you go to different places, the relationship changes. You've got people that you like to spend time with and they leave, they move. They move on and the relationship changes. Someone moves out of the, out of the house and the relationship changes. Or even the most severe change. And that is when health begins to fail and you realize someone's leaving and I'll never see them again. It happens all the time. Someone leaves and that means something for a relationship. I mention that because the passage we're looking at today, the disciples are wrestling with a very tough question. I want you to kind of linger on this question. And that is, if Jesus leaves us, how is our relationship with him going to work? That's what's kind of hanging over that evening in the upper room. If Jesus leaves us, how is our relationship with him going to work? And they're processing, I think, one of the most serious discussions ever recorded. I, I want us to think about that. And I, I want to remind you of a few things because that is a question we may not actually think about that much. Maybe it's not front and center. So even before we dive into this question, I would think like, let's zoom out. But I even hesitate to use the word zoom because we've been doing a lot of zooming lately, probably if you're anything like me. So let's just back up. How about that? And kind of get a different perspective. And I really do want you to process with me, this with me because God made people. God made people originally to be in close relationship with him. That was his design from the beginning. Yeah, God made people to exercise dominion over creation. God made people to be fruitful and multiply. God made people to do good works for others, to develop and conserve things. But ultimately, God made us to be in a relationship with him. But that changed when Adam and Eve sinned. So how can someone like God, who is so perfect, so clean, so holy... How can he be with people who are so flawed and rebellious and unclean? We have a greater sense of what contamination means now, maybe than we've had in a long, long time. But if we apply that to spiritual things, how can a holy God really be with people who are so contaminated by sin? How can that happen? And a lot of the remainder of the first part of the Bible, we call it the Old Testament. A lot of the remainder of that is, how are we going to be close to God again? And the answer comes through many, many shadows and signs that are pointing to us some way where we could be close to God again. 
So you think of the tabernacle and if you've read deeply into the Bible, you know of the temple and the offerings and the sacrifices and the kings and the prophets and the priests. They're kind of pointing us, they're shadows telling us of how one day we might be close with God again. And then, and then one day, Jesus came. And one of the names that he was given is Emmanuel, and that is God with us. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, Scripture says. For years, think about it, men and women were physically close to God the Son in the flesh. For three years, these disciples had had a taste of what it looks like when God comes close. Love so amazing. Love so divine. Power and authority over all evil, over all sin. Words, words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart were pleasing in the Lord's sight. And in the midst of all that, these disciples were loved deeply by Jesus. John 13 says he loved them all the way, the full extent of his love they enjoyed. So back to the question. God had come close to them in Jesus, but now he's, now he's talking, Jesus is talking about dying and leaving. And that's always, death is always an uncomfortable subject, isn't it? We want to avoid it. We often get emotional when we talk about it. There, there's something in us that says, let's, let's not go there. You're going to pull through. Let's, let's, not, let's not talk about death. I don't, I don't want to think about it right now. But here Jesus is talking about it. And if he leaves, how is our relationship with him going to work? And I think our question is very similar to the disciples, maybe nuanced a little bit differently. So if I ask that question kind of from our perspective, not necessarily theirs, but ours, it would be like this. Since Jesus is not physically here, how does our relationship with him work? Since Jesus is not physically here, how does our relationship with him really work? Disciples had to wrestle that question. And I want to lean in hard to hear the words of Jesus today. He's not physically here. How is our relationship with him going to work? Kind of the base layer for answering that question. You know, the base layer is what you, what you put on, when, especially in the winter when you're going out and you're going to be cold and you need something at least close to your body that's going to be strong and, and help and, and warm. The base layer answer to that question is actually in verse 15. So this is how Jesus starts the discussion, kind of the front door of the whole discussion. He says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's where he starts. If you don't have this right, it will definitely mess you up for the rest of the passage. If you don't hear this clearly, and a lot of your Christian life and a lot of your relationship with God can get off track if we don't understand this right at the beginning. And, and I have to admit, I've read this verse a, a, a lot in my inclination often is, I think, I think I get this verse wrong. At least I get the tone of it wrong. I hear, uh, I hear this verse and something in me hears Jesus asking it with a scowl on his face or, or telling me this, if you love me, which you probably really don't, if you really love me, you would keep my commandments, but you don't, so I guess you don't really love me. You'd really keep my commandments. And boy, there are a bunch of them. And if you really love me, you'd keep all of them. But instead, look at you. There's something about it that I hear it with that tone. And I just want to tell you, I think that tone isn't the way 
in which Jesus said it. I think there's an entirely different tone. I don't know that there was a scowl on his face. As a matter of fact, I think, I think it, we could better understand it is when you love me, since you love me, and of course you're going to do it imperfectly. But, but you are going, you do love me. I know you do. And you are going to keep my commandments. This is who you are. This is what you're going to do. If we get the tone right, then we realize that even when he's physically gone, one of the core aspects of our relationship with him is never going to change. However you want to say it, it's loving obedience or obedient love, however you want to kind of slice that up, that's not going to change. Love is always going to be in the driver's seat. You're not going to go very far without it. Christianity isn't going to make sense without love. You aren't going to be able to follow the way of Jesus without love. Of course, of course it had to be centered on love because he loved us first. He loved you first. He loved you first. Love brought Jesus from heaven to die for you. It's always got to be about love. So love is that spontaneous response of our hearts when we know Jesus went to the cross for us. Of course, it's going to be fueled by love. Love for God, love for others is going to fuel what he tells us to do long after kind of our sense of duty quits. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Simple acts of obedience. I feel like I can easily make this way too complicated. But then I'm helped by other verses in the Bible. I'd love for you to, to think about them with me. So you have a verse like 1 John 5, 3. Let me read it. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commands are not burdensome. They're not like, wow, that's too much. Whatever, whatever his commands are, they never approach the unreasonable category. So listen, listen, to these, listen to this verse. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, verse 28. You come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. You can, I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in my heart and you're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So get this now, Jesus tells you, tells me, take my yoke upon you, take my burden upon you. But at the same time, he, so, so get this, he's still in the command seat, right? He's still giving the orders. He's still telling us what to do. And yet he says, this is going to be not burdensome, but it's actually going to bring rest. Sometimes you get this sense like, okay, he's giving all the orders. Like, I, can I do everything he tells me to do? Can I, can I obey every single day? 100%, can I do this? Can I do this? And can I live up to this? And Sometimes you feel the heat of someone that's telling you, you got to do it this way, this way. You got to do it 100% of the time. And you begin to feel rightly the anxiety of like, I don't think I can meet up with that. But listen to the kinds of commands that Jesus gives and actually don't have to go very far to hear the kinds of commands he gives that actually provide rest, that actually mean his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So I want you to think through a command that he gives in John 13. When he is washing his disciples' feet, and he tells Peter, this is a command you've got to follow. You have to be washed by me. You have to let me cleanse you inside and out. That kind of, obeying that command, letting the Lord cleanse us from the inside out, what, that is not burdensome. 
That means rest to our souls. That yoke is easy. Here's another command that Jesus gives in John 13. The previous chapter, he says, you love one another just as I have loved you. And so we begin, to, we begin to process that. What does it mean? What he's saying is when you think of the ways in which my love has touched you, when you think of the ways in which my, li- my love has changed your life, then just do this. Extend that love to others. Extend that love to others. That's not burdensome. Is that too much to ask? Is that unreasonable for Jesus to say, when you know something of my love for you, can you extend that love to others? It's not too much. And then another command that Jesus gives us in John 14 is, he says, you believe in God, you believe in the Father, believe also in me. Here's the command he gives, believe in him. Believe in him is the way, the truth, the life. Believe in him is the exclusive way we're going to be in right relationship with the Father. So here's the command for you. Here's the command for me. He says, if we love him, we will keep his commands. So here's a command, believe in him. Rest in him, trust in him. Do, do we understand this? this is, these are the commands. So in a few moments, you're going to turn off your screen. You're going to close the computer, wh- whatever you do. You're, you're going to take a moment. And, and this is what I want you to think about. One of the many things I want you to think about is, have you really taken the yoke of Jesus? Do you understand exactly the commands that he's giving and why he can say, those aren't burdensome. You're actually going to find rest when you take these, this kind of yoke on you. You're going to find rest when you obey these commands. If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That's the base layer of this whole discussion. But, but we add to the base layers, right? So since Jesus is not physically here, how does our relationship with him really work? How does it work? Well, actually, it's not so much a how, but a who, because grace always comes in the form of a person. And, and I want to read more about that because actually Jesus says in verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. When I read this, my mind went to discussions I've had before. It's like when you're in a, in a meeting with someone, and, and maybe I've been on, in a meeting or on a call with someone, and they're they're telling me something very generous that they're committing to do. And it kind of sounds like, here's, here's, what, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what we're going to do, Curtis. Here's what we'd like to do. It seems like, man, this is a generous offer. And so Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do, disciples. And the Father and Son are in such harmony and unity that wherever Jesus sees a need for accomplishing something good in our lives, then the Father generously gives to meet that need. So, so Jesus says, I'm going to ask my Father, and he's going to give you the helper. He's going to give you the spirit of truth. The relationship works with Jesus because of a who. So we ask the question, who is the helper? Well, in verse 17, he's called the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. We know him to be the Holy Spirit, but... but Think about that, the spirit of truth. So he is not our imaginary make-believe friend that we just come up, uh, something that kind of be the magical placeholder for everything we want to be true. So we just say, ah, it's the, it's the spirit. So yeah, yeah, that's it. It's the spirit of, 
of truth. He's the spirit of truth. And we need to say that at the beginning, but he's also called the helper. And it's an interesting translation, an interesting name here, the helper, because there are lots of different ways to translate this word. And it actually gives us some, when you go into different translations of the Bible, and maybe you have a different one open or on on your screen, there's a different translation and you see a different word than the word helper there. And it actually makes sense that this would be a complicated, complex discussion because we are talking about God and God's allowed to be complex, right? And some of our understanding of him. But, but, but if you think of that word helper, it actually comes originally from the, the Greek word would tell us it's just literally one called alongside, one called alongside. So we can find easy way where you go from one called alongside to helper. And another translation says comforter. And that certainly makes sense. One called alongside to support, to help in the time of need. But there's, there's maybe a danger of the word helper, kind of having that in our mind. If we think, uh, oh yeah, there's mommy's little helper. There's daddy's little helper. And we get the idea of someone that maybe just kind of tagging along for the ride. That's not exactly the idea of the helper here. Because often the way this word was used of a helper coming along was when you were in the court and charges were being brought against you and you needed someone to help you then. And so so think about that, someone helping you, not just sending you warm fuzzies and positive vibes, but someone as an advocate. So you, you get words like advocate or counselor because legal implications are on the line. Stakes are high. You need, you need help. You need support. You need an advocate. You need a helper. One called alongside. And you can even see how that might develop into other translations and other paraphrases say like an encourager or a strengthener. Someone that's going to give you the emotional, the mental strength. The helper comes along. And then I love the way one writer, the way he translated it, is it kind of when you take all of what we just talked about, this one call alongside who's helping, comforting, counseling, advocating, encouraging, strengthening. Well, who does that but a true friend? So in some ways, I know it may simplify it too far down, but maybe that's, a, maybe that's helpful in this case. A true, true friend. I'm not sure that getting the translation just perfect is exactly what we need but you need to know the concept. You need to know the concept because Jesus isn't physically here, but he promised a gift that the father would give you. And that is his spirit. This person who will come alongside you to help you. And you can also process this. Jesus is saying it to his followers, saying it to his first followers. But by that, he doesn't say, and everybody in the whole wide world is gonna have the blessings of this helper. Do you notice how he limits the discussion? How he limits the who this helper is going to be really present for. I think we have to understand this. He actually says the whole world actually doesn't receive this helper. Actually, Jesus says, cannot receive this helper. They don't don't know this helper. They They don't see him. It's a total miss for them. This helper has come and they totally miss it. Why? Why would the world miss this kind of help? Is it because God is just like, shut everything off for them? Or or could there be more? I I think there could be more. It's actually because of this. The world's interests are in other areas beside what this helper really has come to do. Think about it. The world shuts shuts itself off from receiving the Spirit. Like, uh, I wasn't really paying attention because there were so many other things that captured our attention. 
This world would tell you, you need to be interested in fame and power and control. You need to give your attention to what's happening in celebrity culture and entertainment and gossip and immediate pleasures. You need to focus on, you need to give your attention to everything that will secure you monetarily for now and for the foreseeable future. That's what you need to give your attention to. And are you really interested in the things of Jesus? The things that the Spirit is highlighting? If you've given your attention to other places, are they really compatible? Our world has an attention issue. As a kid, I'm positive that if kind of the labels were floating around like they are now, I'm positive I would have had at least ADD, attention deficit disorder. I'm pretty positive I would have had ADHD, throw in the hyperactivity. My mom would uh, definitely witness to that, as would my sisters. And I think about that because I think the world has an attention deficit. And as challenging as that can be for people in this life, when you move that into a spiritual realm, it actually can become fatal because you've turned your ears, you've turned your eyes away from exactly what God is communicating. Could it be that this is what I do sense right now is there some spiritual awakening going on? Maybe in your life, I hope in your life, because we have an awareness that the, where our attention needs to go, we really see the limited value of some of what we were giving our attention to before that seemed so interesting and attractive, but now we recognize those things have severe limitations. Our attention is elsewhere. Something else we need to realize about who this helper is, and I love this, I love this. We need to realize that this helper is, I don't know the best way to say it, but it's an extension of the help that Jesus was bringing to begin with. It's distinct, but it's also the same in essence because Jesus says, I'm going to give you another helper, implying you had a first helper and that was me. I was the first helper. I was the first true friend. And now I'm sending you another one, just like me. Verse 17, he says, you already know this new helper because he has dwelled with you. He's been present with you. And the things that the helper, the spirit of truth is going to do are the same kinds of things that Jesus did for his followers when he was physically present with them. Same things, same kinds of things. The spirit of Jesus is going to be in you. Since Jesus is not physically here, like how how are we going to make this relationship work? The help of Jesus is going to come through another helper, another true friend that is distinct, but also of the same essence. And that friend is going to be there permanently, never going to walk away. It's what verse 16 says. Listen as Jesus talks about what he's going to do and provide through that true friend, through that helper. In verse 18, he says this, I I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And yet in a little while, here's the help that's going to be provided. Yet in a little while, the world's not going to see me anymore, but you, you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. In that day, you're going to know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Who is the true friend? Who is the the true helper? It's the, the Spirit. And what does the true friend do to help? That's the second question I want you to think about. What does the true friend do to help? What is that second true friend that's come alongside us? You know, friends, in addition to like being there, 
They're, they're there for you. That's what we think of as a friend. They also impress things on our heart and on our mind that are for our good. So a true friend is really going to deal in truth with us. So when, when he says this, we kind of get a glimpse of how he's going to help. He, he says this, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. So how is this true friend going to help? Here's the help he's going to bring. Help comes as we are reminded of our identity and belonging. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm, I'm going to adopt you. True help comes when we realize, when we're reminded of our identity and our belonging. The thing we rightly would fear is that someone who really, really mattered to us, someone we were dependent on, would leave and walk away with, from us, leaving us with like zero to no identity or rootedness or security. Every time I read verse 18 of John 14, my mind goes back to, I think if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, they would talk about this as like a core memory, okay? So this is a, a memory like right there at the beginning. I, I can't read this without go, going back to a time when I was four years old and I was living in Oklahoma and my dad was in the Air Force and our family had gotten prepared because we had gotten orders to move overseas, our whole family. But many of you know, I have a mentally handicapped sister who at that time was having these intense, intense seizures. And so because of these intense seizures, there was no place that the Air Force could send him where medically her needs could be taken care of. So what that meant is the whole family didn't go, but dad had to go for one year. Had to go, never, not, not a return trip, but had to leave for, from August to August. And the amount of contact we had was letters and a 15-minute phone call once a week. And I can remember this, right? So I'm at an uh, airport in Oklahoma City, just yelling again and again, I want my daddy, I want my daddy, I want my daddy, I want my daddy. And I think about that in relationship to this first, because you can't take the person that provides you all sort of support and encouragement and love, you can't take that and just rip it away. And I think there aren't going to be consequences. So when I hear this, these aren't just words on a page to me. I have a deep appreciation for the deep love of Jesus where he is talking to his disciples knowing the trauma that the disciples were about to experience. Knowing he is going to be taken from them. And he says to them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am going to come to you. Those words aren't cheap. And we know they're not cheap because he, he made good on his promise. He did come to them. He has come to us. He came to them in the resurrection. We talked about that last week on Easter Sunday. He, he comes to us when we gather, where two or three are gathered. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm present with you. He comes to us when he answers our prayers. You ask things in my name, I'm going to be there. I'm not leaving you. But I think especially here, we see he comes to us in the Spirit. He comes to us in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus presses into us, presses, presses at home when I'm tempted to feel like an orphan, tempted to feel like I'm, I'm having to navigate this crazy, crazy world on my own. And I have to scratch and claw and try to find identity and support. I need to find someone to cheer me on because 
the person that I really counted on to cheer me on is gone. He comes to us at that time and he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I will come to you. And do you realize this morning you have that? You have that. That's no cliche. You have a true friend that brings you reminders. And maybe one of those reminders, you never knew it would come through opening a screen and watching a video. But here the reminder is he's, he hasn't left you. He promised he would not. And the Spirit is doing something through Wi-Fi and through pixels and through something. I mean, all this, all this crazy technology, the Spirit is doing something to remind you. Jesus promised I'm not going to leave you. And that gives us such identity and belonging. There's more. There's more. That would be enough, but there's more. In verse 19, he says, yet a little while. And the world's not going to see me anymore, but, but you, you will see me. And here's why. Because I live, you also will live. Help comes not only as we have this identity and belonging, we're reminded of that. It also comes because we have this guaranteed life in Jesus, abundant life, everlasting life, eternal life, life to the fullest. The first followers of Jesus who heard him make that promise, because I live, you also are going to live. A few chapters later, I actually watched him die. So I can't help but think, what a roller coaster. I mean, they, they said, because I'm living, you're going to live also. And now they're having to, well, what if he doesn't live? What if he's dead? What if he was crucified? But he rose from the dead. He came back to life. And how much their worlds would have changed that morning. His life conquered death. It became clear that resurrection would mean there's going to be life for his followers that not even death is going to take away. When they gathered after that, did they connect the dots? Sure they did. Did they connect the dots? Did they put it all together? He's alive and we're going to live. Even if we taste death, we're going to live. We're going to be resurrected with him. What did the disciples do with that once they knew Jesus was alive? Well, it fueled such a devotion, didn't it? It didn't fuel perfection. We're not going to be perfect this side of new heavens, new earth. But it did fuel such devotion. It gave them confidence that though days might be dark and frustrating, and frankly, right now they may be monotonous, and you go like, when is this all going to end? When things that they loved were taken away from them, and they had to deal with real loss and sadness. They knew God is wise and good and sovereign and powerful, and he's alive because Jesus lives. I'm going to live. It's maybe not always easy to appreciate. I have to think if, if you aren't a Christian, maybe you wouldn't identify yourself in that way. Maybe you would say atheist, or maybe you would say, I don't want to go that far, but I, I want to at least agnostic. I don't know about all this Jesus stuff. I don't know about all this God stuff. I, maybe there's a higher power, a higher being, something out there. I'll tell you what, I, I don't find any comfort and I, I can't even wrap my brain around like that we're all just kind of matter and molecules here at the whim of a planet that can create deadly viruses. That's all there is. That's all it is. No rhyme, no reason, no meaning, no bigger purpose, no plan, just atoms and molecules. I just don't know how I don't know how you can make sense of that sort of world. For those who follow Jesus, we trust because we know Jesus is alive. It's no cliche to say we're going to make it. The Spirit presses that home. You're, you're going to live. You have eternal life. You belong to Jesus. And help comes once more as the Spirit assures us also of our relationship. Our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus. The question we asked from the beginning was like, okay, Jesus is not physically here. We don't see him. We don't touch him. How does our relationship with him work now? And how do we even know if there is a relationship to begin with? How do we know there's a meaningful relationship? Are we just inventing this? 
This is like a crutch to help us get through tough times. Is that all it is? And on that day when the resurrection came, on that day when the Spirit dwelled in people, it says in verse 20, I love this, in that day, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. You aren't just on a planet trying to navigate life with maybe yourself and a few close friends and family members. You deal with doubts, and you deal with doubts when you're lonely. It's a hard road. And some of the most heartbreaking aspects of these weeks have been those who are dealing with intense loneliness. There's not something wrong with you because you're dealing with it. You're missing something that's critical, and that's being together with other people. We weren't made to have like long periods just alone. And for that doubt, maybe even that loneliness, I don't have like cliches and pixie dust. But I will say this, if you are in Jesus and his spirit is in you, then you are in a relationship that is locked in and it's not going to change. They must have known, they must have known, these first followers of Jesus must have known Jesus was so close to the Father. They must have known how he talked. They heard it. I mean, they heard how he was locked into the Father. But this actually takes it to another level. The, they, Jesus is saying, and you are in me and I am in you. The best of relationships are, are like promises to faithfully be together. So you think of those wedding vows like for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. But something stronger than that is going on here. It's, we're locked into a relationship where God, who never changes, has locked himself into love with you and covenant relationship with you. What assurance we are meant to have because that true friend comes to us, reminding us of our identity and belonging, guaranteeing that we have life in Jesus because he's alive, we are alive. Reminding us and assuring us of our relationship with the Father, our relationship with Jesus. Before we close the time, I, I, I do want to leave you with one thought. It's because Jesus promised to be present with his people, not just you individually, but with his people. Jesus intended you to be part of community where, like even in the community, you would, people would love each other deeply and they'd go, see, that's like Jesus. That's just like Jesus loved. That's just like he would love. And, and Jesus wanted us to be a part of a community where lives are just completely changed. Like we see something, we go, only Jesus could do that. And we get another glimpse at him. We get another look at him. That's the kind of community Jesus wanted to be present with, not just me, but us. And you need that. You were made for that. So I just want to say, before our time is done, right now, I, I want people around you. And right now, the best we seem to can do is like phone calls and FaceTime and and maybe other sort of online meetings. But man, if you say, I'm finding, hard to, I, I, I'm finding it hard to find that community around me to remind me of the presence of Jesus and the true friend that's come alongside me, would you please, would you please reach out for help? Would you please just let us know that? If God, and I'd say this too, if God is bringing someone to mind right now, could you make plans to reach out to them so that they would know they're part of this community of love that Jesus came to initiate? And don't just make the plans, but then follow through with the plans and reach out and contact them. We need each other. Since Jesus isn't physically here, how does our relationship with him exactly work? He said, here's how it's going to work. You have another helper, another true friend. Father, I thank you so much.
we could not ask for more. And frankly, we, we would not have even known what to ask for. But you knew we would need someone that would be with us forever, that would impress on us all of your love, all of the assurance we would need. We would need to be reminded and reminded and reminded again. And so in your infinite wisdom, Father, you brought Jesus back to your right hand and you sent your Holy Spirit to us. What a helper, what a true friend, what a counselor, what a comforter, what an advocate. And I pray these would not, these words, you know exactly what you want to accomplish with them today, but I pray they would not land just empty and flat in, in homes and we would just kind of walk away and go, well, that was interesting. But we would know deeply, we would be deeply assured that we are in you. And if there is someone who does not know that yet, but is saying, yes, that's exactly what I've wanted. That's exactly what I know I've needed. Oh Lord, I pray that you would call them to yourself today. Open eyes, open hearts. They might turn from everything else they're trusting in. They would trust in you. Lord, do that so that Jesus once again would be magnified for his cause we live, for his cause we would die. We give everything for him. So thank you for this reminder. We ask it all in his name. Amen.